Internet. I'm Dave Rubin, and this is the Rubin Report. We've got another Friday roundtable extravaganza for you. And joining me are actually two of my favorite guests. Uh, the first one is editor in chief of the Post Millennial, Libby Emmons, and the host of the News and Why It Matters on Blaze TV, Sarah Gonzalez. Ladies, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Thanks for having us. It is good to be with you guys. We're just gonna jump uh, right into it because I want you guys to help me with a philosophical and spiritual issue that I've been dealing with with this Trump and DeSantis thing. I don't like getting in the muck and the mire with everybody, all the fighting and everything else, but I do think it's important to call out sort of BS and, and lies and nonsense when they come at you. And I'm trying to figure out how much I should be addressing all this stuff. So that's the way I wanna frame this first segment that we are gonna do. Uh, because Donald Trump uh, went on the Nelk Boys podcast, I think this is yesterday, uh, talking about DeSantis's failures during COVID, what? Do you think that um, your biggest competition lies within your own party? Yeah, like from the people running in the party? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're really fading fast. I mean, it's fading very, very quickly. Uh, you have a guy from Florida, Ron DeSantis, who I got in with my endorsement. He was at three points. He was nothing. He was not going to win. He was going to lose, and I endorsed him. And then when they asked him a couple, uh, not only there, then I got him through the general election. He was running against somebody who at the time was considered very good as a politician. And then when they asked him a few years later, are you going to run against the president? He said, I have no comment. I said, that's not supposed to happen. He was, uh, he was dead politically. I endorsed him and saved him. Had I endorsed, he was losing by like 25, 30 points very shortly before the election. When I endorsed him, he went like a rocket ship. Like, <laughs> you, like you love that song, Like huh? Rocket Man. He went like a Rocky. I should call him Rocket Man, but now he's Rocket Man that's crashing. His polls are terrible. I'm leading him in every state. And uh, we, we just came out with, uh, they just came out with new polls. I'm leading them everywhere. Why do you think he's, what, like, besides that, because he's done a pretty good job with Florida, you agree. Why, why do you think you're a better choice than DeSantis? Well, actually, if you look at the numbers, he didn't do a great job. If you take a look at the numbers, he's very high on crime, very high, right at the top, uh, almost at the top. Uh, he, I think he gets good publicity, although now people are starting because I'm putting out the COVID numbers. He didn't do well on COVID. He had more deaths than almost every country in Florida. I hate to say it because Florida's my state, but he had he did not have he did not do well. It's it's really it's very interesting. I don't want to knock anybody, but the thing he did well on is public relations because uh, the numbers weren't what uh, they pretended to be. All right, so there's so much there because it's like good Trump and bad Trump all wrapped in one, which I guess is what we get at this point. Look, in terms of endorsing him the first time and helping him get over the hump, it's 100% true. Obviously, everyone knows it. DeSantis has acknowledged it. It's, it's not an issue. Okay, fine. All of the COVID stuff, I mean, Trump who pushed through warp speed, still was telling people to get boosters, kept Fauci and Burks. Okay, fine, we can get past all that. Uh, but to say that Florida didn't do well, Florida now gets 1,200 people a day. New people still coming here because of the ramifications of COVID, over a million people. He kept the state open after, you know, everyone did the lockdowns right at the top. 
It's just like, I moved two companies here. Like everyone knows it, everyone knows it. I, I just don't like that level of lying. Trump's own family, two of his children, Ivanka and Junior moved down here during COVID. His grandchildren moved down here during COVID. Um, what, what do we do about this stuff? Be or Sarah, I'll start with you because I, I, you supported Trump last time around. I don't know where you're at fully on this thing right now. But like, what do we do about trying to deal with this stuff honestly, not allowing the political machinations to destroy everything, but still being honest about what's going on here? Yeah, well, first of all, I would like to say, Dave, thank you so much for uh, making me wade into this Trump-DeSantis situation. <laughs> I just wanted to up your hate on Twitter a little bit. You don't get enough when you're talking about the trans stuff, you know? Right, right, right. That I've been trying to very delicately uh, walk the line on because I like, you know, both of them. But, you know, as you point out, we can't lie about each other. Like we have, it's very important to be accurate. And I think that the juxtaposition of, of this is very interesting because he's criticizing DeSantis. Essentially, what I'm getting from this is he's criticizing DeSantis's policy during COVID, which was, of course, as you pointed out, the freest state that there was in the country. So, Am I to understand that Trump is criticizing DeSantis's decision to keep Florida free? Mm -hmm. If so, running as a conservative, that's a really big problem for me. So it's just, it's frustrating to have Trump not have the ability to, in hindsight, it would be so easy for him to say, hey, they gave me the wrong people to trust. They were, you know, they they wanted me out. They lied to me. They lied to the American people. I, you know, Fauci was lying. Burks was lying. And drain the swamp type thing. And I think that his his base would appreciate that. And I think that there would be some people who might be turned off by him now who would also appreciate that. Instead, he takes this bizarre route of, well, I was the president at the time, but everyone else made poor decisions. Me insisting that everyone shut their states down and take a vaccine in order to go to work. I was the one who made the right decisions. It's just a very bizarre, bizarre juxtaposition for me. Right, he's also lying about the numbers and mm -hmm. Florida has the second oldest population in the United mm -hmm. States. But even if they had the most deaths, you have to balance security and freedom. Like this is like America 101 stuff. Libby, what do you think? You know, I am getting really frustrated with this whole uh, this whole chicken fight or whatever you want to call it between Trump and DeSantis, in large part because um, DeSantis won't announce. So he's making all of the moves as though he's running for president, but he's not actually saying that he's running for president. You can't really get a straight answer on that. He's been to Iowa twice. He's been to New Hampshire. He's going all around. He's doing a foreign policy tour, I think, coming up. Um, and also what that does is that leaves him open to attacks, but he's not really in a position to attack back. And the other thing, too, between this, you know, the two of them who are clearly the front runners and there's a lot of animosity among supporters of either one. And I think that they're playing it entirely wrong. You know, either of these gentlemen should be able to garner the support of pretty much the entire GOP, except if they attack each other and go nuts. So it's a, it's really a shame, I think, to see this. Also, the numbers on Florida's crime, I think uh, I think Florida is like somewhere in the middle, not really um, up top. I think the a lot of the other states that are led by Democrats are substantially higher, like New York, California, Illinois, um, places like this. So, yeah, I mean, I would say DeSantis should really announce if he's going to announce. And if he's not going to announce, then he should throw his support behind Trump and we should take this thing in 2024. 
Right, and also on the, on the crime side, I mean, Miami, which is the biggest city in Florida, was voted safest city in the United States, safest big city in the United States. Education's doing extremely well here, obviously. But I am with you. I mean, you guys could go back, anyone watching this can go back to my videos before this whole fight started from three months ago saying, guys, just sit down at Mar-a-Lago or wherever and talk it out. But Libby, I, I do agree with you that because of the, the non-announcing situation, with, which has a little bit to do with uh, you know, part the Florida legislature, and yet there, mm -hmm. there's some things are gonna have to mm -hmm. change there. Um, it does put everybody in a bit of an awkward situation. I just wanna throw to one clip, this might be a little gratuitous, but there's about 4,000 of them of Trump praising DeSantis on COVID. Even open yet. What the hell is going on with your state? You know, Florida's open, all this. Florida had a surge, great governor, surge, went down. Is, uh, Sarah, is that the weird thing that in a way Trump has to go against his base on COVID if he's going to attack DeSantis because his base is against vaxes. He was for vaxes mm -hmm. and warp speed and all that. And as you said, I think if he just was like, boy, I really did get bamboozled by Fauci and the rest mm -hmm. of them. I think clearly the base is going to love him either way, but it might show some other people, hey, he's showing a little contrition and that's not really his thing, but that's kind of good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Unfortunately, his ego won't allow him to do so. And I mean, look, at the end of the day, Trump's main, uh, I think the mo the thing that is most important to him is loyalty. You you know, you heard him in the first clip talk about, well, you know, I, I was the one who got him over the edge. I was the one who helped him become governor. And while it's true, it also... I don't think means that Ron DeSantis can never run for another office in his life if it competes with Donald Trump. So it's just very frustrating because he's making all of these decisions. He's making all of these statements only considering loyalty rather than what's best for the party, what's best for the country, any of that. And that's why we hear him go back and forth and contradict himself and not make sense and just say abject lies, giving into the mainstream media's, you know, obvious hit pieces on Ron DeSantis at the time that he held uh, the state of Florida free. So it's just frustrating to see Trump just, his ego just can't, he cannot help himself. It is bizarre to see MSNBC and Trump on the same side, but let's, I always try to give the devil his due on this show. Libby, what would you say putting aside this situation, this running, not running, situation, which I, I'm complete agreement with you. What would you say is DeSantis's biggest downside? Like, obviously we can talk about Trump downside, but I, I want this to be as, uh, as fair as possible. You know, I think that um, to a certain extent, his downside is that he won't acknowledge Trump voters and he won't acknowledge Trump's influence on the party. You never hear him say Trump. I know that he speaks about Trump privately, but he doesn't speak about him publicly. And when he does, he doesn't use his name. And it's almost as though he is discounting that America first MAGA base that got Trump elected and that has been so supportive of DeSantis. And if we continue to see the conservative media put their thumb on the scale for DeSantis, that's really going to turn off a lot of that base. And those base voters don't have to vote. They didn't mm -hmm. necessarily vote before. They may not come out again. And if they feel like their guy, who at this point is Donald Trump, as we keep seeing, he gets record numbers at rallies and all that kind of stuff. And if those voters see that their guy is being summarily dismissed by the conservative intelligentsia as it is, then they're not going to come out for DeSantis. And I think DeSantis should really, you know, embrace those voters and embrace their values, which um, he may, but he doesn't really express it. And uh, those people deserve a voice. And it's a shame that they're only getting it from one part of the GOP at this point. 
It's, it's interesting you see it that way because, I mean, the book was rather effusive over Trump, like DeSantis's book. I mean, he credited him a million times. There's not a word bad in there. I guess it's tough when somebody keeps calling you a rhino and a globalist to be like, yes, he is the greatest guy in town. Well, he doesn't necessarily have to say that he's the greatest guy in town, but he does have to acknowledge those voters and he does have to do something about that base. So, you know, I, I don't know if there's a way to divide those voters from the from the man that they necessarily support. Um, but I do think that those voters need to be embraced. I think they need to be listened to uh, and they need to feel like they're part of this. So if Trump is successful in, you know, keeping those voters to himself and keeping their support, um, then I think DeSantis is going to be in trouble. And I think the entire GOP will be in trouble. I don't think we need all of this infighting. We saw it in the lead up to the midterms and it did not help anybody out. Right. I'll throw in one other thing on this, just to be fair. I mean, you know, DeSantis did this six week abortion thing this week, and I have a feeling both of you probably disagree with me on this, but I was fine with the 15 here in Florida. I didn't hear anyone complaining about it. And I don't think it helps you in the general because the, the population of the United States is more moderate on abortion perhaps than the, the situation here in Florida. I just want to throw up one other poll on this. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, they from this week, they have Biden versus Trump. It's Biden at 48, Trump at 45 percent. Uh, and then DeSantis versus Biden. It's actually DeSantis leading 48, Biden 45. Uh, briefly, guys, and then we can move on. Do, do you make much of, of polls at this point? I, I tend not to, but I thought there was something interesting there. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend not to as well. But I mean, as you as you mentioned, it is very interesting. And I keep, you know, the longer it goes on, here's the thing with, with this poll in particular right now, it's April of 2023. We have <laughs> so much time left where Trump could stick his foot in his mouth a million times. And you know what? So could DeSantis at yep. this point. Um, but it is fascinating to see how they will, you know, continue on because as you, you mentioned abortion, uh, Ron DeSantis is making a much different decision right now on abortion than Donald Trump just made when he came out and said uh, that he doesn't think that abortion, uh, the or pro-life uh, measures should be federalized. He doesn't think that the issue of abortion should be federalized. There should be no federal law that, that indicates that women cannot have abortion. That's how that's going to play to the base is going to be really interesting. So it'll be fascinating to see where they stand on the policies as we go further. And I think that, you know, the polls will continue to shift. So I don't put too much into this poll, but I do find it interesting that DeSantis is up there. By the way, I happen to agree with Trump that it shouldn't be federalized. That was the whole point of reversing Roe v. Wade, but that, that's a separate issue. All right, let's, let's jump on to the next thing. Uh, so this is really a rather incredible. We, we could, it's nice that we bang the right up a little bit because we can always go back to the left and they make it very easy for us. Uh, this is a hearing from this week. Biden's interior secretary, her name is Deb Halland, and she started crying while talking about climate change because we're dealing with a bunch of very serious professionals. <laughs> I really do have to say that um, all of this is because climate change is the crisis of our lifetime. We have an obligation to future generations to make sure that we have a planet for them to live on. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm working incredibly hard to make sure that we can realize that transition, that we can have diff differing energy sources. We can't uh, continue to um, be a one industry uh, country. Libby, 
this lady is going to save us all. It's so incredible. I, I, I don't believe oh, any of sure. this anymore. I really, no. I am so, I don't know if that's red-pilled or black-pilled at this point. I don't believe any of this. And even if I believed any of it, the idea that that woman and Joe Biden and AOC could fix any of it is so bananas, it's, it's off the charts. Yeah, I agree with you. I think they are totally bananas. And I do think that they're off the charts bananas. Um, and the other thing, too, is that the energy sources that they are pushing are not even proven to be better than yep. fossil fuels, either in their, uh, you know, in the way that they are used and the benefit to society at large, or in the way that they are produced. So mm -hmm. I think that there is a real disconnect here between Deb Haaland's tears and the tears of the laborers that are working in the mines in Africa to supply the lithium and cobalt mm -hmm. and whatever other heavy metals are needed to create these batteries. People look at their super clean electric cars and they feel really good about themselves and they don't have any consideration for how they were made or the waste that is produced when those batteries die and they have to be chucked into a landfill somewhere in Southeast Asia so that kids can climb all through the dump and pull out the heavy metals and get poisoned themselves and all like this. The same thing is true for the way that solar panels are manufactured and the materials that are needed to create those. These are these are difficult manufacturing processes, and they they're the way the places that these these uh, materials are. Um, these products are made with these materials do not have fair labor standards, right? These things mm -hmm. are made in China. It's really deadly for the people who do them. And I think that it's a shame that Deb Haaland's tears are all about the people in the United States making sure that they can get their electric batteries and have nothing to do with the manufacturing process. You know, and everyone that, forgets that fossil fuels lifted half the population of the world out of poverty. Mm -hmm. And now we want to chuck them back into it. More people die every year of cold than heat. Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the first things that we did when I moved here to the Sunshine State, we had a solar system at the house here and I had a expert come and tell me, you know, what is it offsetting and how much money am I gonna have to put in the upkeep and, upkeep and blah, blah, blah. And basically he's like, this thing's doing nothing. It was purely put right. here, you know, to like make it look cool or whatever. And, and we got rid of it because I was just like, oh, it doesn't even look good. And, and that's a damn shame because I am in the Sunshine State and I'm not opposed to doing it and using solar power if it would be effective. Uh, Sarah, the crying part and the, and the overly emoting, <laughs> is this, will they always beat us because of this? Like, I'm pretty sure neither one of you are gonna start crying during any of the topics today. Mm -hmm. And if you do, you can't come back. But is that why they always win? <laughs> You oh, know, no, I mean, Sarah, are you okay? Do you need to <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I'm going to try to compose myself for this question, Dave. Um, I, I do think that that is a lot of it, is that they use emotion to convey their message. Because, I mean, look at what the young people of this country are like on climate change right now. We have a whole generation of young people growing up who are told that they are going to die if we don't do something. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we joke about it, but it's very real to them because yes. it's all that they've heard from academia, from their education system. They have been indoctrinated into thinking that they truly are going to die and they don't have the perspective that we have, right? Like I can look back at this and go, oh, this before COVID, I might have been able to argue that the the whole idea of you know climate change uh, would be the greatest scam of all time because you go back 60 years, um, 1967, they said that there would be a great famine by 1975 and everyone was going to die. Then we had you know uh, the ice age and then we had uh, acid rain and then we had global warming and then we had global cooling. I mean, if you look, they have a very long history of telling people that the climate, that the weather was going to kill everyone, and somehow 
now. It's 2023 and we're still alive and kicking it. But these young people don't understand that, right? Like they have been indoctrinated into thinking this and it's very real to them. It's caused uh, major anxieties for them, major depression for them. And they have developed a very radical view on this because they have been manipulated by people like the Secretary of Interior who sit there and put on these fake tears and pretend like she's actually serious about this. None of these people are serious about this. It's why Barack Obama bought a $12 million mansion in Martha's Vineyard on the coast. It's why Al Gore has a home that uses like 32 times more, uh, you know, energy than the mm -hmm. average American. They don't believe any of this. Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg flies her, <laughs> her private jet to the UN climate summit, right? Like none of these people actually believe the the BS that they are spewing and trying to force onto the American people. It's just all about control. Cause I'll tell you what, whenever here in Texas, when we had that, uh, the, the ice, you know, all of the, the, yeah, we yeah, were iced big... in for a very long time. Yep. Um, what some people noticed who had these, you know, smart thermostats, this smart energy systems, uh, were that, that their temperature was being regulated by the power companies. They would try to turn on the heat and the power company would regulate that. Mm -hmm. And if people don't think that that's what's coming once the government has more control over all of this green energy that they're promoting for the general population, they've got a whole nother thing coming. You know, the, the other part psychologically- Sarah's exactly right. I just wanna throw that out there, well, dead on. Just one other thing quick before I let you in, let me, you know, the other is like the psychological element of the hysteria that, that it leads mm -hmm. to. Like Bernie all the time will be like, four out of five young people are having climate anxiety. But it's because you're giving them climate yeah. anxiety and you seem to be happy to do it. <laughs> Go ahead, Libby. Yeah, no, I just, I totally agree. I thought Sarah said that perfectly. This is just like uh, the new rain dance, you know? It's like we think that what we do, our human sins have some great impact on the weather, and it's absolutely exactly the same thing as our ancient ancestors did. Uh, we really have not progressed at all. Right. Can I add in one more thing, Dave? Sure. The other thing that is just so disingenuous about this when it comes to America and American politicians arguing about this is that they know if you look at the numbers and you look at emissions, anything that we do yes. we're, won't matter when you're not addressing China and you're not addressing India and you're not addressing all of the emissions that are coming from there, which we obviously can't control. Like th th It would be a minuscule little blip in any sort of numbers and it would make no significant difference. And they know this, that's why they're, it's just, it's so disingenuous, it frustrates me. Well, it's also, tell. it's also ironic because the left that wants us to have no role in, in, in the world basically, or a diminished role, what right do we have to tell other countries that are going mm -hmm. through their own industrial revolutions that they can't do exactly what we did? But uh, check this out. So this is uh, Representative Harriet Hageman, who I like a lot. Uh, she started asking Secretary Haland about energy poverty and, and basically should people starve in the name of green energy. Madam Secretary, do you believe energy poverty is a good thing? I don't know the term, ma'am. You've never heard of the phrase energy poverty? I have not heard of that term, but I... Uh, it's probably pretty self-explanatory, though, don't you think? Well, I think what we're really trying to do with our clean energy goals is make energy more affordable for okay, every single American. So I'd like you to answer my question, which is, do you believe energy poverty is a good thing? In other words, that people going into poverty are being unable to fo afford food or medicine or things like that because of the rising cost of energy. Do you think that's a good thing? 
Congresswoman, I understand the challenges that many Americans face. I raised my child as a single mom and had to decide whether I could pay the rent or my student loans or even my gas bill. So I understand that. It's very difficult. Yes, so you agree that energy poverty is not a good thing. She's a single mother, so clearly she knows. Libby, I I honestly don't think they care. I I honestly don't think they care. I think in the quest for their Green New Deal or whatever it is, they would gladly starve half the world. I really believe that. Yeah, and I think that's pretty clear when you look at the numbers and when you look at the gains um, economically that fossil fuel has made throughout the world. And when you consider the expense that goes into, you know, the electric cars and all of these other kinds of energy systems, they're not affordable for a lot of people. And it reminds me of, I think the play is Uncle Vanya by Chekhov. Um, And I may have mentioned this before, but uh, in the play, you have this guy and he's talking, he delivers this amazingly long monologue about um, how terrible it is that the peasants keep burning wood. They keep burning down the mm-hmm. forests. Why are they doing that? Why are they burning the forest down? And the reason, of course, mm. that they're burning the forest down is for heat, so that they can heat their homes, so that they can cook their food. And there's another option available, which is to pick up like mulch off the forest floor. And why are they not using that? Well, it's a much dirtier energy. It causes sickness. It causes filth all in the home. So why are they not using that? Um, That's why. And so these are old questions. Why are the peasants using the cheapest, best energy source they can find? Because it's the cheapest, best energy source that they can find. And the wealthy have always had the ability to use whatever they think is going to be better, regardless of the cost. But that's just not true for the people of the world. It's certainly not true for the poorest Americans um, who are not going to be able to go out there and buy electric cars just because gas powered cars are no longer legal in so many states. In well, just spe- a couple of years. Speaking of the poorest and the rich, uh, let's move on because uh, the left loves to pretend they care about the poor while demonizing the rich and then putting in policies that just exacerbate that situation. Here is Congresswoman uh, Pramila Jayapal, and she's just had it with those rich people and she wants their money. We have proven with the child tax credit, with survival checks, with so many provisions of the American Rescue Plan that poverty is a bad policy choice. It is a choice, and we can make different choices. That is the good news. My ultra-millionaire tax act, which I'm proud to lead with my friend Senator Elizabeth Warren, would narrow the racial wealth gap, help level the playing field, and ensure that the wealthiest among us finally pay their fair share. Just imagine what we could do with the money that it would raise. This would be unprecedented investments in healthcare, in universal childcare, in education, in transitioning to a renewable energy economy, in affordable housing so that people could live and wake up every day knowing that they were able to provide for their families, that the next generation would do better than our generation. For way too long, our society has been rigged to favor the wealthy. This is a solution that would give average people a fair shake. You know, I almost forgot for a second if we leave my mic on during these video clips and I almost said some really horrible things about her. So 
<laughs> I can't stand these people. Everything she says there is a confusion or an outright lie. It's a government spending problem. The idea that the government, if they, yes, if you took all of Elon Musk's money and Thiel, Peter Thiel's money, we'd magically solve all these problems. They, they ruin absolutely everything. You know, rich people, they also hire a lot of people and build a lot of stuff and innovate. It's just nonsense. But Sarah, again, a certain set of people just buy this drivel. Yeah, it's really sad, too, um, because it's people who are continually told by people like this representative, Jayapal, that they are oppressed, that they can't make their own way, that they can't, you know, the, the American dream, the reason why immigrants move here is the idea that, you know, mm -hmm. this is a meritocracy, that you can make your own way, that if you work hard, you can you can build your way up and you can become something. And you have an entire party, political party, who is constantly telling people you can't make your own way. The government has to do it for you. The government can create wealth as if that's true. And so I was listening to, to her talk and I, I looked up because I know that she's lying, but I wanted to look up the, the most recent data that I could find. Um, so in 2020, the IRS, this is data from the IRS, shows that the top 25% of earners paid nearly 89% of all income taxes. Yep. So should they keep talking about paying their fair share? Like at what, 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 is, what is fair? They're already paying 89%. You want 90, you want 95, you want the top 25% of earners to pay 100% of all income taxes and nobody pay anything else? Because guess what? The three of us know what's going to happen. Everyone will be poor because that's what happens. It will only last for so long. You can only take millionaires and billionaires' money before it just runs out. This is common sense. But none of these people, again, you know, I, I mentioned the Secretary of Interior and the climate change issue. Everyone is disingenuous. This is no different because all these legislators behind closed doors are making money off of insider trading. They're coming out of Congress worth far more than they were when they were coming in Congress. They're all the millionaires and the billionaires. You have Bernie Sanders who used to demonize millionaires and billionaires. You'll notice he doesn't say much about millionaires anymore because he is one of them. None of these people- <laughs> Somebody's gotta pay for those three houses. <laughs> right, right. But so it's like, you, they don't believe this. That, that's why they go and they constantly manipulate uh, people who are lower earners and low income because they just want, they're just buying votes. That's all it is. Unfortunately for the rest of us and for all of America, every time they do that, uh, it affects all of us. And it's not in a good way. Right. Let me just give you a, a little bit more info here, Libby, before you jump in. This is from the Daily Wire. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts proposed a new tax bill alongside Washington Representative Jayapal and Pennsylvania Representative Brendan Boyle that would reportedly place a tax on ultra-millionaire net worth and households. The tax would reportedly place a 2% yearly tax on the net worth of households and trusts above 50 million. Any households and trusts that have a net worth over 1 billion would have to pay another 1% annual surtax. This would leave billionaires with a total tax of 3%. Bloomberg Wealth reports on the individual billionaires that would potentially be affected by such a tax. Jeff Bezos, the world's richest person, would face an extra ta tax charge of at least 5.4 billion in 2021 if the bill became law, while Elon Musk would pay 5.2 billion, according to a Bloomberg analysis. The measure would cost Bill Gates an additional 4 billion, and and Mark Zuckerberg would have to pay uh, a 2.9 billion over to cover the tax. Now, just again, these things are just meaningless because just because these guys are super wealthy, it doesn't mean they have it all in liquidity as if they can just hand over cash just like that. They have it tied up in a gajillion other things. But again, even if you took all of that freaking money, Libby, is there any reason if you gave Jayapal $4 billion and then you look at what she did with it a year later, is anything gonna be better? Is there any reason to think it would be? 
No, I don't think it would, especially because of the way that the Congress has been spending our money and that Biden continues to, you know, insist our money be spent paying off student loan debt for gender studies degrees that are absolutely meaningless. And these people have no skills and can't get jobs. We already saw that Harvard students, according to some professors, don't have the skills to read The Scarlet Letter, one of our Mm -hmm. most storied novels that I was assigned in ninth grade. Uh, The only reason we weren't assigned it in eighth grade is because of content, you know, there's adultery and whatever else. Um, But no, I do not think that they would do a very good job with this money. I don't think that they would take this money and spend it anywhere within the United States that was worthwhile. They would use it to continue destroying our border. They would use it to continue funding this useless war in Ukraine. They would use it to enact laws that require everyone to buy electric cars and to further their racial social justice initiatives in climate and companies and all of these other things. They would use it to continue building this new medical industrial complex that Biden is doing uh, after he enacted, I think, an EO about building this extra medical situation so that there can be even more trans surgeries for kids across the United States or whatever else that he wants to do. So no, I don't trust these people with my money. I don't trust them with Jeff Bezos money or Elon Musk's money. And I certainly don't trust them with the money that belongs to the taxpayers of the United States. Libby, I don't want, I I can't let you gloss over something you just said there. Are you telling me that you couldn't read the Scarlet Letter in eighth grade because of adultery? You had to read it in ninth grade and now basically half the country wants uh, drag queens to twerk in front of four-year-olds. Is that (laughs) what you're telling me? Yes. (laughs) All right, I got got one more on this as long as we're talking about economics because this headline just, like this actually enraged me. It's hard to get people think of me as even keeled. Biden to hike payments for good credit home buyers to subsidize high risk mortgages. Listen to this. Home buyers with good credit scores will soon encounter a costly surprise. A new federal rule forcing them to pay higher mortgage rates and fees to subsidize people with riskier credit ratings who are also in the market to buy houses. The fee changes will go into effect May 1st as part of the federal housing finance agencies push for affordable housing, and they will affect mortgages originating at private banks across the country. You know, as somebody that at one time in my life was in debt, and someone at one time in my life that had to do credit card consolidation and had bad credit and all of those things, and now has no debt and profitable companies and good credit score and pays my mortgage, that pisses me the F off. Why am I doing this work for, I mean, is that not completely bananas? Libby, I'll start with you on this one. I have some really choice words for that plan as someone also who have has gone through similar things. Plenty of if, if you want to write them down, if you want to write them down instead oh of saying them, I goodness. find that helpful. You know? yeah. uh, I recently bought a home. I worked extremely hard to get to a place where I could buy a home. I bought it at one of these ridiculous interest rates that we have going now. Mm-hmm. I got my credit up to a reasonable position after years and years of struggle to do that. And it's absolutely infuriating that this administration would think that just because I work my ass off this whole time, that means I should subsidize other people's poor choices. I don't have any interest in doing that. And it's like they completely forget that high risk mortgages is what led to the 2008 housing collapse that destroyed everything for years and saw college graduates get out of school, unable to get any kind of job or have any kind of hope for the future and say ridiculous things about how now they can never have children or whatnot, even though millennials are apparently doing fine now. But when you look at this, this is not my responsibility to make sure that other people, uh, other people's high risk mortgages get sorted out. 
I very intentionally never engaged in a high-risk mortgage, even though, of course, that's an option to lots of people to make really poor financial choices. Uh, once you make those poor financial choices, that's on you. Sarah, is the punishment the point? Meaning they could figure, I don't agree with any of this at all, but like if they didn't want to punish a certain set, the responsible people, they could just figure out a way to potentially help the high risk people. But it seems to me that the punishment of the people who have played by the rules is baked in here, right? Meaning you could just, you could help people get some sort of subsidized mortgage if that's what your intention was without harming the people who've done it right. But that's reverse of what they're trying to do here. Yeah, uh, I do think punishment at this point is the point. I also would just like to, you said that we could write it down. So I just, yeah. I, I, wrote, I wrote, I wrote mine down. I, I still, I still censor just for you, Dave, but I did write it down. I'm uh, mostly no, I scribbling think, things here. That I, that I can't even use words anymore at this point. <laughs> I look, I mean, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, right? Yeah. Who said that? Karl Marx, because yep. with communism, you have to you have to dumb everyone down to the lowest level to maintain that equal playing field. You notice the administration always likes to use the term equity. It used to be equality here in America. Mm. Now it's equity because we used to be a meritocracy where everyone would have equal opportunity. Now, as you mentioned, they want to bring everyone down to the lowest common denominator because you can't have communism or socialism without doing so. So they have to make sure that you are not motivated to to innovate that you are not motivated to make more money that you are you know they can put their thumb on you all the way until you are totally under their control because as we all know uh the the more chaos the more fear the more poor the you know they infiltrate society with all of these things the more able they are to control all of us and that's essentially what it's all about I, w I want to jump to one other topic with you guys. Uh, back to Florida here. Uh, we've got a, a tweet from ABC News. Uh, breaking, the Florida Board of Education votes to expand the so-called don't say gay rules through 12th grade. As you guys know, it's not called don't say gay. It's HB, I think it's HB 1557, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, originally, it was going to be up to third grade. It is not that they are never going to t allow you to say anything about gay people. The word gay is not even in the thing. It's that you will learn about certain things related to gender and sex in appropriate classes like health, not in math or science, et cetera. Uh, but Ted Lieu, Senator, Ted, uh, Senator Congressman Ted Lieu, I, I cannot stand this guy. Like he's to me at like <laughs> Schiff. He's at like Schiff. Um, who else would I put in that Swalwell territory? Mm. Here's what he said about it. Kids in MAGA states will be kept ignorant. They won't know gay marriage is the law. They won't be taught facts that make them uncomfortable. They will be coddled in a MAGA bubble. And when they go to work or trade school or college, they will be made fun of and disrespected. Um, he, he's a total, I'm sorry. He is just such a dishonest scumbag. I have gone after, well, here's what I tweeted at him. Just, we'll just put it out there. Hey, Ted, would you like to do my show so I can call you <laughs> a lying moron to your face? Uh, so, you know, sometimes I go with sugar and uh, sometimes I don't. Sarah, again, gay's not in the thing. Um, I, just, I, I'll, I'll ask you a personal question. When you were go growing up, at any point from kindergarten to 12th grade, did you know the sexuality of your teacher, their, their sexual habits? Were they, sit, were they pulling you aside and calling you Sam instead of Sarah? Would any of that have been remotely appropriate or am I just, am I just an old angry guy at this point? 
No, I actually did not know any of those personal details about my teacher's sex life. And I think if I did, the teachers would have been pulled aside uh, very quickly and removed from their duties as a teacher because anyone who was alive up until about like two years ago knows that that's not appropriate for children. The don't say gay thing pisses me off at probably as, well, maybe as much as it pisses you off. I mean, you're in Florida. I'm not in Florida. But to see it characterized as this so disingenuously, you might as well call it the don't say straight bill, I guess. Right. Because clearly right. that's not what it is. But, you know, you look at how the left co-ops this language in order to try to push their agenda. You see them do it with Black Lives Matter. Was that organization at all about saving black lives? I mean, there was one black life they saved in particular who now lives in a giant mansion that she she bought with all of the Black Lives Matter money that they raised. Yeah. But other than that, nothing, right? You have Antifa. Are they actually anti-fascist? I don't think so, because anytime I run into them, they're literally trying to shut my speech down, which is kind of fascist of them. So they just take these phrases and they manipulate them to use whatever they want to do to demonize us as if uh, at the end of the day, any reasonable adult wants children learning about sex in class. It just, it's so disingenuous. And at the end of the day, they have to do this. They have to talk about it's don't say gay. They have to frame it this way because they know that any reasonable American, uh, you see my cat up here. Hello, Hurley. <laughs> um, any reasonable American who looks at the actual content of the bill will say, yeah, we don't want people. We don't want our children learning about sex. It's very simple. That's why they have to frame it like this because they know they're not winning on the issues. And by the way, Ted Lieu, hundred percent is lying, and he knows he's lying when he says they will not learn about gay marriage. It's not. We actually teach civics in Florida. They've passed the bill, so it will actually have to be taught. An honest assessment of history will have to be taught. So they're not going to ignore Supreme Court decisions. It's about sexualizing children with teachers. And then you may have seen it. We should have shown it on the show today. Uh, cringe. I call her cringe Jean-Pierre yesterday, saying that gay teachers won't be allowed to have pictures of their spouses on their desks. Again, it's a complete lie. It was fact-checked on Twitter. Uh, Libby, it's never gonna stop. It's just never gonna stop. No, I, you know, it's funny because the parental rights and education bill, as it's more properly known, was massively popular among parents across the United States. There were polls done at the time. When I read the very short three-page bill, Mm -hmm. I was pleased with it. I was mm -hmm. hoping that something similar would be enacted in the state where I lived, New York City, where instead there are policies that go into effect that um, encourage teachers to keep students' gender identity and all of that kind of stuff secret from parents. Right, that's, that's far in, more twisted. That's, that's far, far more, more twisted. twisted. And that's true in Vermont, Washington State, Colorado, California, and a number of other places. And that is a horror. So what you see when you see the words don't say gay bill, what you're actually seeing is a Democratic Party that is interested in severing the ties between parents and children. And that is something that all parents should be up in arms against. Well, speaking of that, I got one more thing for you. Random guy, Matt Wallace, I don't know who he is. He tweeted this out. He said, should permanent gender surgeries for little kids be banned immediately? And he did it in all caps. So you know people really mean it when they say it in all caps. And uh, this Elon Musk guy, who you might've heard of, he wrote, absolutely. Uh, Sarah, this one's been been sort of close to your heart because you've been going to these events, which believe, I, people can't believe they'd be happening in Texas, but they're happening in Texas, talking about the, the drag queen stuff, which obviously is connected then to the larger uh, trans movement. Um, Florida's outlawing it. I think some other states are gonna outlaw it very soon. Montana's outlawing it. Um, they're, they're not gonna transition kids. 
It, again, it's just, it's so frustrating because it's something that everyone knew to be true up until 10 minutes ago. We all know we shouldn't be permanently altering children's genitals. Like this is, it's not hard and it shouldn't be controversial. Unfortunately, the squeaky wheel gets the grease in this country and you have this minuscule number of activists, very radical activists who come out and, and act as if we should be doing it. And the general population is scared to say, no, actually, that's abuse and we won't stand for it. The thing is, though, as we see with Ron DeSantis, as we see with these other states that are passing these bills, this is a winning issue. It's not hard. Stop mutilating children. Stop sexualizing children. Stop bringing them to drag queen brunches so adult grown men can twerk on them. It's not hard hard, but we need everyone to vocalize what we all know to be true. That is abusive and should not be allowed. Libby, on the, on the Elon part of this, how, how important do you think it is, not only that he got Twitter, but that he has suddenly become this cultural voice that we desperately, desperately needed, you know, in terms of Twitter files, but also like basic sanity and also calling NPR state-sponsored media and you know CBC up in Canada, like just like the broad spectrum of things that he's doing that putting aside Republican, Democrat, the average person is just like, yeah, that is refreshing and true. And it's nice that someone's saying it. Yeah, Elon Musk has said a lot of controversial things and he's been attacked by the left and right for them, which I think means he's pretty well right over the target. I appreciate that he's been speaking out against medical gender transition for minors. Uh, mostly the surgeries start around 13 and mostly they affect young girls who have their breasts permanently removed. There have even been doctors uh, who perform these kinds of surgeries who say things like, you know, if they want their breasts back, they can just get breast implants later, mm -hmm. as though there's anything similar between having a bunch of plastic in your body and having your actual body in, you know, there in your body. So yeah. uh, that's actually pretty stunning. I appreciate having Elon Musk speak out because he's a very prominent figure and having prominent figures speak out encourages other people and lets them know that they're not alone when they wanna speak out against things like puberty blockers as well. Well, I am encouraged by you prominent speakers speaking out, Sarah Libby. You guys are, I, I love having you both on together, so we'll definitely do this in the next couple of weeks. I thank you, have a great weekend. And we got a post-game show coming up in about 42 seconds at rubinreport.locals.com. See everybody. The impact is not only potentially about anything that might be in your medicine cabinet, and, you know, I'm not going to get in your business, but you should just think about what might be in your medicine cabinet. <laughs> Could be all kinds of things that, that you need and the doctor prescribed, and that's your business with your doctor. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.